this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Welcome to Labor Day weekend. And, uh, you know, Labor Day is the unofficial American boat holiday. So anybody who has a boat is out on the lake and you, know, you drive by and they're crammed in so tight that like, how did they get in? How are they going to get out? You know, and so I, I look around and I see all of you not out on a boat. And what that communicates to me is that you're very serious about your faith. Those of you watching online are very serious about your faith. Or you don't own a boat. I would like to say, though, as a spiritual uh, advisor, uh, as a pastor here at the church, if you feel like you have a boat and it is tempting you from not engaging in the body of Christ, I would be glad to receive that burden for you anytime. All right. So for our Canadian friends, I want to tell you what the sermon is about this morning. I'll stop now. In the last two messages uh, that, that I was able to share with you, that I had the opportunity to share with you, uh, we were talking about courage and we talked about uh, overcoming the Jerichos in our lives and making a difference. And so I want to kind of build on some of those thoughts and I want to talk about what happens when we don't. Because there are times in our lives where we feel like Moses. You know, Moses who spent the majority of his life in exile in one form or another. You know, the first time because he kills an Egyptian man and has to flee and exiles himself. And the second time he spends wandering the desert with the Israelites because he struck a rock to create water when God told him to speak to the rock to give the Israelites water. And so maybe you've had a time in your life when you didn't see the walls of Jericho topple. Maybe you didn't make a difference, but what you made instead was a mistake. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So the title of my message is Peter and the Muddy Shoes. Now, obviously, it's it's apparent what this is going to be about. You know, if you remember from Sunday school, one of the classics, you know, you got David and Goliath and and Moses and Pharaoh and Noah's Ark and Jesus walks on water and Peter and the Muddy Shoes. No, not so much. Well, that's it's. It's for good reason, because I've made this up. You know, it's part of Peter's story, and it's part of my story. And I think when they come together, they illustrate something that God is doing. So the first part of Peter and the Muddy Shoes is the Peter part. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke 22, where we see his story begin to unfold. And this is where Jesus predicts to Peter that Peter is going to deny him three times. This is what scripture says. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. So Peter's given name was Simon. And what Simon means is shaky. Now, Peter was the the name that was given to him by Jesus. That means rock. 
And so Jesus starts by calling him Simon, Simon, shaky, shaky. Satan has asked to sift you. What does that mean? What does it mean to be sifted by Satan? Well, for those who are like me and are agriculturally challenged, I had to look that up. I didn't quite know. So here's an excerpt from an article that I found that describes what it would look like to sift in Peter's day. This is what it says. After the corn or wheat was reaped, the stalks would be placed into threshing floors constructed in the fields. Animals would drag threshing equipment over the stalks of corn or wheat in order to separate the grain from the husks and chaff. The husks and grain would then be winnowed by tossing into the air, and that would allow the wind to blow away the husks and the chaff. The grain would then remain, but it would be mixed with stones and lumps of soil, which clung to the roots when it was reaped. A sifter would be used to separate the grain from the stones. The grain would be tossed into the air during the process. And so Satan asks, I want to find out if Peter is grain or if he's a husk that's going to blow away in the wind or if he's dirt and stone and he just happened to be there when the action was happening. And Satan says, I want to find this out. And God, knowing that he's working all things, good things, bad things, fun things, sad things, all things together for Peter's good, presumably says, okay, you can test him. And something that is apparent in the Greek but doesn't translate to the English is that Jesus, when he says you, Satan has asked to sift you. It's actually plural. It means all of the disciples, all of Jesus' closest followers. Satan wants to sift Peter and all of them too. You know, but Peter in his very Peter kind of way, he's not buying it. You know, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to fail. No way, no how, not me. The story continues in verse 39. Jesus, he went out and made his way, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. It was there that Judas the betrayer brought the Roman soldiers. And then in verse 54, it says, They seized him, led him away, brought him into the high priest's house, and meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. Now, I want to stop our narrative here, and we're going to talk about mistakes. But I want to point out that the Bible explicitly states Peter was following from a distance. He was following at a distance. Doesn't that describe a lot of Christians today? It's not new. Peter was following at a distance. He was following Jesus, but, but he, he kept a safe space. He didn't want to get too close to the action. He wanted to know Jesus, know about Jesus, know what Jesus was doing, but he didn't want to be so close to him that he was also vulnerable. Right? Are you following Jesus at a distance? Are you, are you keeping him at arm's length? You know, do you feel safer about your doubts when you follow him at a distance? Do you uh, feel better about when things aren't turning out how you feel like they should turn out? When you're following Jesus at a distance. Because when we look at this story, we see that Peter was following at a distance. And that meant that he wasn't in the thick of things. Which meant that he was in the courtyard. And this is what happens in the courtyard. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. And they sat down together. Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the firelight and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I do not know him. 
After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And we know that Luke is cleaning up the language of what Peter said here because another gospel writer says that Peter cursed at the man in frustration. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, what must that felt like? So Peter remembered the word of the Lord and how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. So the rooster crows And the scene that had just taken place a few hours earlier unfolds. It plays back in Peter's mind. I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. You know, I'll never leave you. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything. And God, you are my God, except when it looks like we're not on the winning team anymore. And except when it gets hard for me or except when it's dangerous or except when the plans change. And Peter goes outside realizing what he's done and he weeps bitterly. And if you've been alive for more than, say, like three minutes, you've probably had a rooster crowing moment in your life. You've probably had a moment where you made a mistake and it's clear that you made it and it's a big one. And when you think about that moment, you probably feel some things. You probably feel some embarrassment and you probably feel uneasy and you probably feel some shame. Shame is never the answer to the problem. Shame is never the answer to the problem. Shame is not of God. Shame is not what God wants for you. And and that's why people who think that following Jesus is about shame-based behavior modification, that's why those people so often fall away from their faith. You know, they just think that following Jesus is, it's about, you know, feeling bad because you do bad things. And I want to try harder and not do bad things because I want to feel good and not feel bad. And that is not the gospel. That is not the good news of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12 calls Satan by a name that I think is so fitting for this story. Calls him by the name, the accuser. Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. Now I'm going to stop here. Because I want to draw attention to the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night. This is this Buzz Lightyear internal voice thing, right? Toy Story 4, he presses the button, thank you, inner voice. Like when you make a mistake, there's this inner voice that plays. There's there's a dialogue that takes part in your mind. And Revelation 12 says there's an accuser. And he's going to tell you that what you did makes you something. Until very recently, I heard a pastor talking about this. I thought that um, Satan's job was to tempt me. Like that was Satan's main job. That's what he spent his time on. But as I listened to this pastor speak, I became more and more convinced that his job isn't just to tempt me, but it's also to lie to me. It's also to accuse me, to convince me of things that aren't true and to inflict shame on me. 
And Satan is so good about convincing us that we are something after we do something. And because we did, we must be. And then suffocating us with the shame of what we now are. So the accuser will say, you are because you did. You are a bad parent because of what you did. Or you are a failure as a spouse because of what you did. Or you are a terrible Christian because of what you did. And he's very good at telling me what I am and telling me what I'll never be. And he's very good at telling me what I'm good for and that I'm good for nothing. And he's very good at telling me what I'm worth and that I'm worthless. And he's very good at telling me what I should be, what I'm never going to be. And I spend the next 45 years of my life trying to fix myself. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Or at least maybe you've been there. But all too often, we live our lives like the story ends where I stopped reading in verse 10. And there's more to the story. By the power of Jesus Christ, verse 11 comes after verse 10. And this is what it says in its entirety. Now the salvation and the power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, the accuser of your brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night. That is an amen. That's a hallelujah. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. He's been thrown down and he's been conquered. So we don't have to be subjected to the lies of the accuser. He's already been thrown down. He's already been conquered. He's already been defeated by a greater voice. And John 14, 26 talks about this greater voice, but the advocate, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The advocate. I love that name for the Holy Spirit. An advocate is a defender. An advocate is a protector. An advocate is for you. An advocate is on your side. The advocate is the other voice that's speaking into your life. See, the accuser says, uh, he inflicts shame and he says, I'm going to show you where you have a problem in your life and I'm going to convince you that change in that area is impossible. But there's a different message from the advocate. It's this thing called conviction. And what conviction says is, what in the world was that? Now let's talk about that. You're going to need to change some things here because I believe in you. And because I know you're better than that. And because I know your potential is greater than that. And you're not made to succumb to such small things. Your purpose is too big and your value is too high. They're talking about the same thing. They're both talking about the mistake. And they both sound similar, but the motive behind the message is totally different. Where the accuser's job is to inflict shame, the advocate draws out potential. The advocate is drawing you closer to who God made you to be. Now, because this is a church and this is a sermon, I've said it before, I have to share a list of something as part of the requirements. Um, And if they don't all start with the same letter, um, you get three of those, then you lose your ordination. So so I'm going to have to give you a list of things that all start with the same letter to illustrate what we're talking about here. This is from Christian psychologist Henry Cloud, and it's the three P's of shame. The first is it's shame if it's personal, it's shame if it's permanent, and it's shame if it's pervasive. So if it's all three of these things saying personal, you are permanent, always something, 
pervasive, and it's going to infect every area of your life, and you can't do anything about it. If it follows those criteria, it's probably shame, and it's probably the voice of the accuser. So shame takes what you did, and it makes it who you are. It's not, I made a bad choice, but I'm foundationally a bad person, and I make bad choices because I'm a bad person. But the advocate is saying, you're made in my image, and you're made for more. Let me help you grow toward who I know you can be, who I made you to be, who before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you to be. So there's an accuser and there's an advocate. Now, if we rewind back to Peter, it's a fact that he denied Christ. He can't change that. It's a fact. He did what he did. And what he did is the same regardless of the voice he listens to. Now, Peter has a choice. Is he going to listen to the accuser or is he going to listen to the advocate? Because it's going to determine the rest of his life. I found myself in what I feel like is a similar place. And it wasn't the biblical proportion of like denying Christ, you know, during the betrayal. It wasn't quite that big. But I feel like it applies. So I'm going to tell you a story this morning, and it doesn't make me look very good. And I have to preface it with, you know, people think that like when you become a pastor, that there's like a pill you take or like a shot that they give you. Or like, you know, Jesus comes down like glowing with his biblically inaccurate blue eyes and blonde hair. And and he touches you and you're like perfect and you never make another mistake again. And it's just not true. That was not quite my experience. So I'm just a person and I make mistakes. And I'm going to expose myself a little bit here this morning because I think it can help you gain perspective on the shame that you experience in your life. So I'm a doer. I do all the time. It's nonstop doing. And that's my personality. Um, For those that want to understand me a little better, I'm an Enneagram 3 wing 4. It's a disease. We're working through it. Um, But sometimes I overestimate the value of particular achievements and I, I underestimate the toll that it's going to take on me. And I underestimate my capacity to deal. And I underestimate uh, my energy level. And I underestimate my own abilities. And I just want to do things that I probably have no business doing. And this was one such time. It was a Saturday. And it was rainy. And it had been raining all week long. And uh, we decided, and by we, I mean my wife decided that we needed... We're working through that too. Um, that we need a flower bed out back. And we were going to just go ahead and just dig it ourselves. And in theory, digging in this moist dirt seemed like a really good idea. And so I, I start by going outside and being really pumped that I have the opportunity. I was so fortunate to dig this flower bed out when it's been raining all week. This is going to be so easy. And I discover a couple things really quick. The first thing is that digging a flower bed is not easy. Regardless of of the state of the soil, it's not an easy job. Um, and, And that it wasn't moist, soft clay. It was just mud. And that mud got very heavy when it was wet. And so I'm out there and I'm digging and, and mind you, I'm already, I'm already a little frustrated. I went out with a really good attitude, but I got a little frustrated right off the bat because I discovered that before I started in the flower bed, I had to put together this new wheelbarrow. 
And, but you know, I, I'm a doer. So like, I'm just going to press on, I'm just going to do it, just get it done. And it seems like an easy job, but this particular wheelbarrow was the uh, work of Satan himself. Uh, it was some possessed unholy version of something that resembled a wheelbarrow. And, and it took me almost an hour to put it together. And uh, it probably would have taken longer, but I got a little impatient. So I just started slapping stuff together and it's going to be fine. You know, just do it, just get her done kind of thing. And, and I didn't quite get all the stuff tightened and all the junk on and there were leftover parts and whatever, just, just get going. And so I got going and I'm out there digging out the flower bed. And over the course of the next several hours, I proceed to smack a doll transplant shovel because I'm an idiot down into the mud instead of the spade shovel I should be using. And I'm scooping it into the wheelbarrow to make room for all the plants and all the trees and stuff that we were going to be planting back there. And kind of as the day goes on, it rains a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. And the mud that I was sinking in because the grass was so wet that you just could stand there and just sink. The mud that I was sinking in got so caked on my shoes that it ripped the rubber part like off the top part. And so every time I walked, my shoes clapped and smacked mud back up on my legs. And, and so I was kind of losing my patience a little bit. I was soaking wet and I was, mud was all over me and I was digging with a flat shovel and I just, I wasn't having a, a great time. Um, and, and as I get more and more tired, it becomes apparent that at some point I'm going to have to empty this thing. I've been Filling it and filling it and filling it, but I'm, I'm gonna have to empty it. I just gotta muscle up and do it. So I picked that wheelbarrow up and, and I, I learned a couple things, um, that are about to ruin my day. Uh, I pick it up and all 200 pounds probably of that mud that was in that wheelbarrow sits on that one wheel in that soaking wet grass and she starts to sink. And as she starts to sink, she also starts to tip. And so with all my might and this little, little body, I start cranking back and giving it all I got to straighten that bad boy back up. And and one of the things that I learned at that moment was that I just had too little too late. And I I was just exhausted. I was not going to stop that thing from falling. And the other thing I learned was that doesn't matter in light of the fact that the idiot that put the wheelbarrow together didn't tighten all the bolts. So what happens was I'm cranking and I'm already losing the fight and the handles come loose and go straight up in the air and that wheelbarrow flies over and all that mud that I just dug out goes back in that flower bed and back down in the holes that I just dug. And I'll tell you, I wish that I would have had the presence of mind to see this as a learning opportunity. And I wish I would have had the wisdom to laugh at the ridiculousness of that moment. Uh, but, but I, but I did not. The, the cocktail of stress and frustration and tiredness was just a little bit too much for me to handle. And so rather than being a beautiful teachable moment, um, I kicked the wheelbarrow the rest of the way over. All the rest of the mud went back where it came from. And I took my shovel and like a javelin, I flung it across the, the yard and I ripped my shoes off and slammed them down on the patio and slammed the door behind me. And you know the third thing that I heard? Because the first was the shovel hitting the pavement and the second was the door slamming. The third thing that I heard was the crow of the rooster. Just like Peter. Because I did what I did. 
And what I did was really dumb. I had to make a choice. Just like Peter, who had the same choice, am I going to listen to the voice of the accuser or the voice of the advocate? Because the voice of the accuser was saying, what you just did, you know, you are because you did. You are bad because you did a bad thing. You are unfit to be a pastor because you can't even get a tree planted without losing your mind. I mean, what was I going to say? It wasn't going to be like, hey, neighbor, come to my church. The guy that throws shovels and slams doors, like, come learn the peace and the balance I have in my life. Like, Jesus can do this for you, too. I thought it wasn't going to work. I'd undermined my own ministry in my own neighborhood. And it would have been really easy to let shame take over. You know, but here's the distinction that I had to make and the distinction that Peter had to make and the distinction you have to make is what is, what is the message that I'm going to listen to? There are these two different messages. Which one am I going to listen to? Because the accuser says, you've made a mockery of yourself and your kids are probably going to grow up with anger problems and you failed as a parent and you failed as a pastor and you failed yourself and you failed God because you are a failure. And what the advocate said to me was, that was not okay. But it's not okay because you're made for more. You know, I've called you to a higher level. If you feel shame, it's not from God. It's not the voice of the advocate. Conviction is the voice of the advocate, and that's a motivator because of who God's made you to be. You know, I, I had a group of godly men around me the other day, and, and I've shared with you before about how I struggle with ringing in my ears and pressure, and doctors can't quite figure out what's going on. And they were all surrounding me, and they were praying for me. And the voice of the accuser kind of, crept in a little bit. The voice that I heard was saying, you know, you're, you're broken. You're never going to be the same. You know, you're never, you're never going to find healing. You know, as a, as a person who has a career in music, like your, your time's ticking, you're rolling down the hill. But then I heard the voice of the advocate almost audibly speak to me. It's one of those moments where where you just know it's the word of the Lord. And the, the words he gave me were, it's already done. I felt the spirit upon me say, it's already done. But I didn't know what that meant because I looked around. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it's not even different than it was five seconds ago. And I'm, I'm a little dumb sometimes. But eventually God works on me and I see what he's trying to say and what he's trying to do. And later on that week, I felt like God kind of revealed to me what he meant by that. It is already done. I'm already healed. Because we, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, we enter into the, the kingdom of the Lord and we take up our cross and we follow him, we're offered eternity with God. And Revelation 21 shows us what that's like. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he'll dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. 
the advocate and the Holy Spirit was reminding me that for followers of Jesus, we're guaranteed a day with God where there's no more sickness and there's no more pain and there's no more sadness and there's no more death and there's no more ringing in your ears. You know, and I've been praying for God to heal me, but the gospel, the good news reality is that it's, it's already done. You know, he's already given me healing. It's just a matter of getting to the point in God's timeline where I see it and I experience it. Because, I mean, it might be right now. Like, he might reach down as I speak and heal me, and I never I never hear another bit of ringing in my ears again. Or it might be in a week or a month or a year or 10 years or 40 years. Or it might be in the next lifetime. But I will see the healing. I will see the healing. It is coming. His answer is yes, and it's already done. So maybe you're praying for something. Maybe you're praying for God to heal a disease, or you're praying for God to heal a cancer. His answer is yes. The reality is it might be in this lifetime, or it might be in the next, but it's already done, and it's coming. We just got to get to the point in the timeline where we see what he's already done. You've been praying for God to restore a relationship. The answer is yes. And it might be today or it might be in the next lifetime, but healing is coming for your relationship or or freedom from depression or the chains of addiction. The answer is yes, God will free you from those things. He already has. We just have to get to the point in his timeline where we see and experience the healing. And it may be today or it may be in the next life, but it is coming. The advocate says yes, but not just yes. It's already done and it's waiting for you. Can we praise God for his faithfulness in advance? God is faithful in advance. And when we make mistakes and we wish they'd disappear, that they'd be erased from our lives, the advocate says, it's already done. You're already forgiven. You're already redeemed. You're already free. But let me show you how to live like the free. That's the voice of the advocate. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we know from the rest of Peter's story that he chose to listen to the voice of the advocate. And he goes from being shaky, shaky Simon to being Peter the rock, the rock that the first church was built on. And I want you to listen to the voice of the advocate because I believe what God has for you is he wants to make you the rock that your family's faith is built on or the rock that your neighbor's faith is built on or the rock that your coworkers or your classmates' faith is built on. And we can do that because who the son sets free is free indeed. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you're doing for us, what you've done for us, what you're gonna do, what you've already done and and we just haven't experienced yet. And God, thank you for the words in scripture, the stories of imperfect people serving a perfect God and how that relates to us. Peter's story is, is every day for us. And I pray that you would allow us to hear clearly the voice of the advocate, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that you would allow us to reject the voice of the accuser and reject the voice of shame. And we are 
not what we've done. We are what you've done. Lord, we love you. We thank you, praise you, and honor you. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvillroad.cc. God bless you.